Owl Nation, you are now listening to the Owl Chat Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Kennesaw State Athletics, with your hosts, Kai Millette and John Finer. Happy Thanksgiving week, everybody. We are back with our basketball postgame show here on the Owl Chat Podcast to recap the Town Park Holiday Classic that took place at Eastern Carolina University. I am joined here, as always, by my co-host and partner, Mr. John Finer, um, former Owls great and all-time leading rebounder, Mr. Aaron Anderson, um, and producer Nick is also with us in the building. Uh, We are recording this on Wednesday, November 22nd, so we are all still recovering from the heartbreak of the ECU loss last night. But other than that, gentlemen, how are we feeling today? Well, I was feeling better when you said Jonathan Finer, a former KSU Owls legend, and then you introduced Aaron after that. So I <laughs> thought you were talking about me. So, uh, you know, my ego's hit. But uh, other than that, man, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about, uh, you know, the tourney just yet. Uh, but how are you guys doing, Aaron? Oh, doing, doing well this morning. Uh, again, all-time Owls great. I wouldn't go that far. But I do appreciate that. I do appreciate those kind words. Look, no offense to the rest of the list, but um, we don't have a ton to choose from. So we'll put you up there. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll hang the jersey in the rafters. <laughs> that number 21. That's right. <laughs> Monty Harris is representing me well right now, though. So we'll take it. Should have retired it. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, so just a quick recap. I uh, played three games this weekend um, against uh, Georgia Southern, Northeastern, and Eastern Carolina. We'll get into the games in a second. But first, uh, I want to touch on how bad the uh, ECU announcers were all weekend. Um, <laughs> things like calling Simeon Cottle Charles um, for the first two games nonstop. It was that one guy, uh, Patrick guy. Yeah, yeah. I think they had a rotating um, rotating yeah, group of color commentator people. But uh, the uh, the play by play guy was awful. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. Um, it could not get Adam Akoya's name right to save his life. Um, you know, he had three chances throughout the week. Um, I don't think he ever figured it out. So it was ugly. I've got a lot to say about this. Please, please um, go. Yes. So as you said, he could not pronounce Adam Akoya or get anything close. I heard him say it a few times correctly. One time is after the PA announcer got it right, and then he immediately just said what he heard, like a little parrot. He's like, Adam Akoya. Yes, Adam Akoya. He got it. By God, he did it. But, um, you know, he was all over the place. It was like Adam Akoko, Adam Akia, Ademakala, you know, any anything that sounds even remotely close. I think he even said Imogene Coca uh, one of these times. So, um, you know, what if it was me, what would I have done? Well, before the first game, I would have gone to the SID, uh, Mark, and said, hey, Mark, uh, how do you pronounce this guy's name? And then Mark tells me, I forget it. So, you know, I, I'll give him a pass for the first game. Then after the second game, hey, Mark, can you tell me again, how do you pronounce this guy's name? Okay, let me write this down. Okay, Adam, like the name Adam. Okay, then I put a little dash and uh, like, uh, what the hell is his name? And then I put another dash and says koi, like a koi pond. Okay, and then another dot, dot, dot. And then uh, like, uh, what the hell? Adam, uh, koi, uh. Wow, I just did it. It's so hard. Um, and if you don't want to make any effort, just freaking say Quincy or Q. I mean, everybody with a Q in their name literally goes by Q. So why not? Yeah, it uh, it sounded like somebody's dad trying to use a term from a younger generation, you know, 
And he just kept on trying. And a few times he got it right. And he was proud of himself and he knew he got it right, but he could just never, you know, consistently string it together. Um, I think my personal favorite on that was Adam A. Yoka. And he actually like segmented it that way too. And like left a gap. He's like, Adam A. Yoka. (laughs) Yeah. It's now Japanese now. What was funniest to me was the throughout the whole first game, him calling Simeon Cottle Charles and then uh, his play or his color commentary guy, just like subtly, passively correcting him each time. He's like, and so what a what a layup by Cottle. And I I went through all of the rosters on every team that was at the tournament. I think Charles Stone was the only Charles there. Um, and how he got those two confused uh, is beyond me. Or where alike. he was pulling that name from, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly alike. Um, They're the same hair. Yeah, so it was, I don't know, it was a mess. Um, I'm glad we don't have to listen to him anymore. Um, but if nothing else, it was entertaining. He, he wants the same thing uh, that we all do. He wants Charles Stone into the game, and he's trying to will it into existence. So that's my theory. He wants the Stone Zone. Chuckasaw State University. Chuckasaw State, baby. That's how we do it. Yeah, but anyway, enough said about the uh, the announcers. Let's talk about what people want to actually hear about, which is the games themselves. So we'll start with the first game, which was against Georgia State. Or, excuse me, Georgia Southern. I apologize to all the state fans that Georgia are Georgia State's next week. That, that is a, uh, I know that's a point of contention between the two schools, the whole GSU versus GSU thing. But anyways, um, the game was uh, mainly close throughout. Uh, KSU did hold the lead most of the way, and it never really felt like we were out of control, even when the game was, you know, within a couple of points. Uh, the Owls hit 32 free throws, which went a long way, um, and shot 40% from the field. Um, like I said, we looked in control throughout and probably should have won by more, but it's hard to be upset when Southern simply shot the hell out of the ball. Like they did. Um, they finished with splits of 43, 42 and 92. Um, so really, really good. Um, honestly, my impression of the game was we just outraced them. So I don't have a whole lot to complain about. They're not great, but they had a fantastic shooting day. They kept them in it. So I'll give you the floor, John. Yeah, um, you know, we had 14 assists to 11 turnovers, forced 19 Georgia Southern turnovers. Um, you know, I liked what I saw from uh, Frank Juan Sherman. That was his big game, 21 points on 7 of 11 uh, shooting from 3. And I thought this was really the first time we saw Sherman, you know, get that aggression, that initiative offensively to really take charge and, you know, like, hey, I'm going to get you give me the ball. I'm going to do something with it right away. I'm not going to just defer, wait for the shot clock, and then do something. He took some initiative. Uh, we had some balanced scoring, Cottle 17, Q16. Sherman, of course, led. Uh, Burden and DeMond in double figures. Um, you know, four blocks from uh, Ranji Gordon. Um, this is going to be a trend of the weekend, but Burden 6 of 13 from the free throw line. Um, if you take out Burden's free throws, the Owls were 26 of 28 from the foul stripe this game. So I feel like the universe kind of evens things out with the uh, East Carolina game in a way to where, you know, maybe we shouldn't have hit that many in this one, to be fair. Um, I like that Cole LaRue, you know, came in at the end of the first half, provided four big minutes. Um, you know, that's pretty much, you know, my notes. We had some big free throws towards the end of the game with uh, Cottle and uh, Robinson. Um, so yeah, that's, and Burden as well, you know, he didn't really hit his stride until the final, you know, five to 10 minutes. Then he kind of looked more towards the burden that we know and love. Um, so those are kind of my game notes. Um, Aaron, what do you have? Oh yeah. Just, I want to lead with, with Frank Juan Sherman. I mean, you mentioned at 21 points, he, 
I mean, he he didn't look like a freshman a lot out there, and he's very opportunistic getting the ball and putting it in the basket and loving to see his athleticism. That was a highlight for me. Um, a main thing that stuck out, like we had 40 minutes of effort, which again, it's not something to necessarily give, you know, that's kind of an expectation at this point, but you love to see it. You love to see starting off a tournament like this. There might've been a total of 13 fans in the stands at this game, um, including some of our Kennesaw state's own, but the, the 40 minutes of effort goes a long way. Um, and we made some good adjustments, just looking at the X's and O's. We made a lot of pick and roll adjustments uh, going into the second half to really get us some more open shots and open looks, um, offensively and defensively. Um, and those are the things that stuck out to me. But uh, kudos to Frank von Sherman and, and like you said, Cole LaRue coming in, giving some big minutes and, and, and you know, giving DeMond a break. That, that was a great, great opportunity for us. Yeah, yeah I've you, seen a lot. Go ahead, Kai. I was just going to say, yeah, uh, you know, Southern's not a great team, but you kind of like in a way that they pushed us all the way to the end. You know, it put us in that situation to uh, finish and just, you know, have to close out the game, hit our foul shots, not play stupid. Um, and we did a good job of that. Um, I thought it was a very positive result regardless of opponent. Um, yeah, honestly, the score was as close as it was because Southern just shot super, super well. A lot of their looks were contested too. Um, so I was happy with the result. And we, we have to shoot better ourselves, uh, to be honest with you. There were some reasons that, you know, the score was as close as it was, but we got the job done and that's what matters. And like Aaron said, you know, I don't think there was a, a moment in any of these games where I could, you know, um, sit back and say something like, uh, wow, these owls aren't giving effort for that, you know, three minutes or that five minutes here, six minutes here. Um, and I kind of, mentioned that against FSU I kind of felt there were some lulls where we weren't giving that effort and I you know three games in three days and I can't say that once that means to me that you know these guys are bought in because we're playing basically like an eight and a half man rotation right now um, if that so that's very impressive you know they're you know they adjusted they're adjusting well from Amir to Petway and you can kind of tell yeah, absolutely. One thing I didn't like was uh, DeMond continuing to let it fly. Um, this was kind of a trend throughout the tournament, and he got a little hotter um, later in the games. But uh, he was 0-3 from 3, um, and they just seemed like wasted possessions. Um, I texted John, and it was like, it feels like the equivalent of a Connor Cummins 40-plus yard field goal. You know, it's like, well... Oh, stray fire here. It's like, you know, <laughs> we, we, we can... He can hit him. We've seen him hit him. Doesn't mean he's going to, you know, certainly not at a high percentage. It just feels like a throwaway of a possession. Um, I, I don't like the gamble. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if we continue to let him uh, have the green light. Yeah. And and on that piece, you know, I'm. it's unfair to, to DeMond because I, I play his position and I'm going to watch him a lot more and probably scrutinize as much as any other position. Um, Coach Petway is going to give him that green light. I And I don't want to speak for Coach Petway in this regard, but I can't imagine he prefers him on the three-point line as opposed to in the post, making passes, looking for other looks, sealing somebody off for an easy lay-in. We have plenty of shooters on the floor, and the shots he was taking kind of, you know, make or miss, I prefer him on the, on the block because that's where he's going to get most of the damage done throughout the season. I completely agree. I mean, that's where he was lethal last year. He was such a great post player. We talked about this um, a few episodes ago, even uh, like in the game against Xavier, when he's going up against a seven footer, you know, he's getting pushed and he's getting to the rim in the post. Um, and he's, you know, great at dishing the ball out to the perimeter. Like you said, we've got four other guys on the floor at any given time who are good shooters. Um, I guess I don't mind him always taking those shots when he's got the look, but like, 
you know, I mean, he's the quote unquote true big on defense. So let him be the quote unquote true big on offense. I'd actually like to, you know, see this play out a little bit more before I make a determination on this. Um, you know, I, I guess I have some weird faith in Demond Robinson, um, but I, you know, I'd like to give it a few more games before I kind of agree with you guys. Um, but yeah, if, he, but if he has a rhythm three, man, I, I say, go ahead and take it. Um, as far as, you know, the ball stopped and Hey, I'm just going to shoot it anyway. Probably not the right move, but if it's in rhythm, I would absolutely con- tell him to take it. Yeah. And it's part of the offense at this point too, the pick and pops for sure. So he's out there. This is true. Yeah. Anyways, um, if that's all you got on uh, Georgia Southern, I can go ahead and move on to uh, Northeastern. Yeah, please. Fantastic. So Northeastern looked way more put together throughout the game than GSU did. They're a pretty well-coached team. They've been to the tournament uh, a couple of times under that um, regime. Um, They've had a few uh, poor seasons um, lately, but, you know, well-coached team, like I said, and you could tell. I mean, they they were organized. They were getting good looks all game. Um, down the stretch, this one was seriously in doubt. I think there were eight ties and 10 lead changes, according to my notes. Um, and North uh, Northeastern looked like they were going to have the final chance in regulation. Uh, and then they threw the ball out of bounds on what was a horrible turnover, um, which is like under five seconds remaining. Um, then Terrell Burden flew down the court, did his thing, uh, set up a DeMond Robinson game winner at the buzzer. Um, Burden would finish with 24 points on nine of 13 shooting, starting to really return to his true form. Um, it was a nail biter. Um, and unfortunately the ECU loss kind of overshadows how good of a win this was and how gritty of a win this was. Um, so I'll turn it over to you, John. Well, you know, I just got some notes on this and, uh, you know, it it looked like for a time with this one that we were kind of going to kind of run away with it, that we, Hey man, we looked a little bit too athletic for them and all that kind of stuff. But as you know, basketball, you know, the cliche, it's a game of runs and they came back, um, we took 19 more shots than them, but they had twice as many free throws. Um, we shot only five of 23 from three, uh, had 13 assists to 15 turnovers, which isn't great. Uh, had way too many turnovers in the first half. We just kept kicking ourselves in the nuts time and time again. And, um, you know, just some interesting stuff went on in this game. Um, you know, uh, Jamel King missed a dunk. Um, Quincy Adam McCoy started for King in the uh, second half, and it led to King, you know, making, you know, uh, having a big game in game three. So, you know, I don't know if it was a wake up call or what, but, uh, you know, definitely the right move. He only played about nine minutes. Um, Burden hit uh, two big free throws with 50 seconds left to tie it, hit a layup to tie it at uh, 77. And then the final play from Burden to Mondo uh, for the win uh, with 3.5 seconds left. Uh, King, Gordon, and McCoy each had two blocks. Uh, Burden led with 24 points. Robinson, 15. Uh, R.J. Johnson, 12, who I'm just glad uh, the, the announcer didn't call him Rudge Johnson. Um, Northeastern shot uh, 50% from the field, which is a little bit high for my liking, but KSU boosted the p- percentage to 44.8. Uh, Burden was a nice 6 of 9 from the free throw line, so uh, this is really the one game where he shot a you know, an acceptable ish, uh, level. Um, so that's, you know, that's my notes for the actual game. Now we can discuss after the game here in a minute. Yeah. I'll jump in with, with first, I want to shout out my, my ex teammate from Sweden, the Sotatelia basketball club, William Kermori is, is a guard for, for Northeastern. So shout out to him. It was good to see him out there. It was kind of cool to see that happen. Uh, now in regards to the game, 
again, a lot of really good things we do. I, I'm, I'm always going to emphasize the pick and roll because that's what we we really start our offense out of. Um, we we focus on that again pretty heavily. Um, I love to see Demon in the post demanding the ball. I'm going to continue to go back to this. There was two times where he gets the ball and going back and, and finding Franquan Sherman for an easy layup or a dunk, passing out of the post. That's something that you know, as a freshman, I love to see Franquan Sherman cut into the basket like that. They have a good thing going when he gets in the post. Um, that's great to see. Um, other things that, that stuck out, John, you touched on it a little bit. They Northeastern shot 34 free throws. And, you know, in a vacuum, it may not be the end of the world, but we'll touch on that a little bit more with the ECU game. Um, we we play very aggressive defensively. And as a as a fan, as a coach, I know that's exactly how we want to play. We have to be more disciplined, however, with our, our body, you know, not fouling. It's going to, it's going to come back to bite us a little bit. Not today. It didn't, it, or not the Northeastern game. It didn't, but that's one thing I want to see us be a little more disciplined on the defensive end. I love the effort. I love the passion. We're a gritty team defensively. we got to be careful with the foul trouble and, and getting the other team to the line. Is that something that the players, you know, learn how the, the new coach likes to play defense and they have to adjust? Or is this something that, you know, the veteran players, you know, already shouldn't be making these mistakes and, you know, that the freshmen might learn over time? Well, I, what I think it, it brings me to, it just takes me to imagining what Coach Petway's practices are like. I'm sure the practices are going 100 miles an hour and he has them so bought in to Kai's point earlier in the show these guys are bought in and they, their effort is never going to be a question. Um, and that is, that's step one. We have that down. They're playing hard. They're going out there and fighting on the defensive end. Now these younger guys are going to learn how to play the game. And, and the, the collegiate game is ref a little bit differently than, than a high school game, of course. Um, and there might be, there might be some thoughts about, you know, even the older guys getting in foul trouble. We are playing three games in three days could play could play a role in that fatigue and maybe the feet are a little bit slower and we're getting lazy and they're hand checking a little more than we typically would um, but that's still something I think as veterans and as a as a team grows up together we're going to have to play defense more discipline and and ha keep our guys in front of us without fouling and I noticed that coach Petway doesn't really at least he hasn't implemented yet not really much zone if any it's a lot of uh, man defense and when you run man, you know, you risk more fouling um, compared to, you know, teams often run zone to kind of keep guys out of foul trouble. Um, do you think that this is just something that, you know, Petway's, you know, this is how he plays, how he wants the team to play defense? Or do you think, hey, we, you know, we'll work on the zone. We're working on it now. We're not quite ready to put it into use just yet in actual games. I would say a little bit of both. And, and, and I can elaborate on that. We are playing very high level defense and the effort is there. I can't say that enough. I think coach Petway, when he sits down with his staff is going to be extremely proud of the effort the guys are putting out there defensively. I don't think there's a team that we've played this far the season that, that is ferocious as we are defensively. Now in terms of zone, he may want to go towards a zone. However, when you, when you break down some of the offensive possession or the defensive possessions that we have, we are, we are very slow in, how can I say we, we were contesting shots and you'll see a lot of jumps and hands, hands on the ball. And that looks great in the moment. But if you just rewind a half a second, why are our guys half a second late and forcing ourselves to, to jump for contested threes? It's because we are overhelping. We're turning our back to the ball. 
if the ball's in the paint, you're going to see all five guys staring at the ball and losing sight of where they're, 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 uh, who they're defending on the, on the perimeter, which is going to force us to sprint out and, and contest a, a long three. Um, so once we get our discipline down in terms of helping and, and understanding that DeMond can, can handle his own in there in the paint um, or maybe a, a help and recover with a quick dig and get back out to your shooter, then we can probably throw in a little more zone but right now, watching what we've been doing, I don't feel as comfortable on our three-point defense um, as I, I would like to be a little more comfortable before I throw more zone out there. Here, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, because I never played basketball at any sort of high level. Um, but as a fan, I've always been pro man defense, um, especially when you have a roster built like ours, where it's just, you know, two through, well, really one through five, just a bunch of athletes, right? Um, mm -hmm. I feel like with the way we're set up, we should be playing man and making teams beat us one-on-one -on -one rather than having to rely on like a trap and mirror sort of zone defense. Um, I think zone, you know, while effective can be a bit gimmicky at times and can be figured out. Um, so that's my take on it. Uh, I think with the way we're, we're recruiting and the way we're built now, um, I, I understand the move to stick with man. Yeah. And, you know, we do have two small guards, um, which also, you know, isn't very helpful in a zone. I think, you know, uh, we'd probably want lengthier wings, especially, you know, if one, only one of Burden or Cottle is in, maybe then we can do some more zone. But I, I really don't like it with having both of them on the perimeter. But, you know, I do like how Amir mixed the defenses up just so other teams don't get so comfortable when they get different looks. Even if it's not totally effective, just throwing different things at them, you know, makes the other team think and gets them out of a rhythm. So that's really my thought. Uh, Aaron, you agree with that or? Yeah, no doubt. Um, that, that's important now in game. And then especially once conference comes around, you, you're going to want the other team to spend as much time preparing on different defensive, different defensive assignments, different defensive schemes, offensive schemes. So if we can, if we can prove to be effective in zone in the non-conference, um, even if it's only for, two or three possessions a game. I promise you the scout, the scout team for conference opponents, they're going to spend 15 minutes looking at our zone defense and running their zone offense. Even if we don't do it in conference at all or seldomly, but that's definitely something that's, that's worth throwing out there for film. And uh, what is the, you know, you've played under two different coaches and you've played pro. What is there much difference in how coaches want you to play? Even just a, a man, man under a mirror versus man under Petway, you know, whether it's, you know, hand placement, mentality, um, you know, switching, um, you know, it, or is man just man? No, there's definitely differences. And I, I think a lot of it goes to the roster that we have. Um, let's say, you know, DeMond's quick on his feet. He's he's no Terrell Burden or, or Simeon Cottle out there. So we're not necessarily wanting to switch him out. Like you can do, you can do complete full switches. It depends on what you want to do with the ball handler. If you want to a hedge or a red and, and you trap a ball handler. There's different aspects of man, but it all, it's all going to boil down to the, the essentials are, which are, you know, ball pressure, you know, keeping an eye on, on man and ball back to the basket. Um, it's all, it's all coming from the same family, but how you play out of it can be a little bit different. And a lot of it is just going to be determined on what our, our personnel is on the court at that time. All right. And, uh, you know, I just want to kind of transition away from the game, but to the end of the game, we had a, uh, a handshake line. Um, the Owls hit the uh, game winner and then uh, Northeastern just walked off without shaking hands, which was kind of tacky. Even our friend, uh, the announcer, Patrick, called him out on it. 
Um, so it was kind of, it was just a fun thing. I gave, uh, their coach a little shit on Twitter just for fun. Um, I tweeted at him, uh, he didn't block me. I was really hoping for the block, but he knows better, I guess, than to, you know, feed the trolls. So, uh, you know, smart guy. I'm sure he's been around yeah. the block. A disciple of Al Skinner, by the way. Yeah. Uh, did we, um, shake ECU's hands after the game last night? Because it was okay. Okay, Just Nick. Kidding. Nick is yeah. saying yeah. Because I'm like, my I'm fairly like, sure I was watching them stick around. They had stuck around on the court there for a second. Okay, because okay. the players were slowly starting to make their sure. way off after that shot. Sure, they were all in the corner. Sure. Okay, that's classy on us. Because like, I I can kind of understand why Northeastern left. You know, not that it's right, but it's like okay. You know, they hit a game winner and everybody's celebrating. You know, the last thing you want to do is line up and shake hands. Oh yeah, there's no rule against that. It's right. Like, Right. It's like, I mean, I'd be like, okay, well, I'm not waiting around for y'all. You guys just beat us. Um, But still, it's classy when you do stick around and shake hands. There's no game winner exception to shaking hands. Um, You know, but if if I was Northeastern, I get, you know, I perhaps do some spit handshakes. Um, (laughs) That's one way to do it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. But, you know, I, w- I would just stick my hand out and yell uh, sportsmanship at them until they shook my hand. So, yeah. One more thing. One more thing to uh, mention about this game, just because Aaron brought up um, having a former teammate playing this game. Uh, Northeastern had some interesting players, and I'll uh, I'll dunk on their announcer two more times. Um, that player, uh, Sakota, they had, um, who I think went for like 21, had a really solid game. Um, he kept on calling him Sakata, um, first of all. Um, it was definitely Sakota, like Dakota, but whatever. Um, he mentioned that he had quit playing pro volleyball in yugoslavia to come play at northeastern now there's a lot wrong with that sentence maybe his father played pro volleyball in yugoslavia um because yugoslavia has not existed since 1992 um either he got his country wrong he got the person wrong or he was just saying nonsense i was really confused when i heard that (laughs) so i just thought that was an underrated funny moment from the announcing crew we need to check his birth certificate um maybe he was playing pro volleyball in yugoslavia or maybe they have a league for like three-year-olds i don't know how old is this kid uh i mean if he was playing a pro sport somewhere else you would think he would be you know older than the average college student right but things work differently overseas so who knows yeah maybe he's like 50 in overseas years i don't know right all right with that all being said we'll move on to the Final, most interesting, but also uh, most hurtful game of the tournament. Uh, We played East Carolina in the final game um, against the host ECU. It was a true road game. It looked about halfway full, maybe a little less. Um, I think ESPN reported it as being 44% full, which is about accurate. Um, So we came out on fire and had multiple double-digit leads in the first half. We were all feeling really good, shooting the lights out. Um, burden was playing well um, we picked up some foul trouble um, and ecu started drawing closer um, late in the first half we went to the break up 47 to 43 and we're like you know what we should be up by more but with all things considered you know this being third game in three days and against probably the second or best team in the tournament you know we will take it um, and then second half is neck and neck from the start um, owls had possession with 19 seconds to go uh, in a tie game and we're like okay ball's going to burden he's been hot you know he's our our closer um, and he did exactly what he's on the team to do um, got to the bucket scored it was beautiful two and a half seconds left um, you're feeling really good ECU I think they had a timeout left opt not to call it inbound the ball throw up a prayer from just beyond half court and 
it uh, gets a bit of the back iron and goes in, um, and we lose by a point in an absolute heartbreaker. So, John, we'll start with you once again. Well, if you're looking for me to spin this, uh, this would this would be our sixth game, right? Correct. This would mean we've been on SportsCenter three of the six games. Huh? Uh-huh. Is it not more? Uh, I think it's been more. Um, it? It, it, so we got on um, RJ Johnson's dunk against um, yeah. Oakwood. And then, and then the game winner for Northeastern, and then this one, um, which yeah. I'm counting just selfishly, just messing around, even though it was for gotcha. the wrong reason. Yeah. But that's still 50% on SportsCenter, baby. Build that brand. Absolutely. I thought there was one more, but what maybe is I'm it? wrong. Producing I thought we had like it. a... Oh, we had like a dunk against Kaiser or something. I believe there was a dunk against Kaiser that also made Sports Center oh. even better. Sixty-six percent. There we go. Let's keep track of this. Um, so we're at six a sixty-six percent rate. I'd say that's probably uh 99th percentile in the A Sun. So uh, you know, great job there, guys. Um, even if ECU has to contribute it by heartbreaking us. But um, they out-rebounded us 47 to 37. Um, we held them to 41.3% shooting. I love that KSU had 18 assists to 11 turnovers, especially in the third game. Uh, the free throw discrepancy, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, was 40 for ECU, 16 for the Owls. Um, Ranji started the second half because of foul troubles. Um, we had Sherman and Ranji with four fouls with like 13 minutes left. Uh, Robinson had three. If it went to overtime, man, it would have been a disaster. Um, you know, Cottle struggled all game until the final five-ish minutes, and then he turned into Michael Jordan. Um, you know, Burden had 19, 8, and 6, and I think he really had an emphasis on the rebounding there. He led us in rebounds, which, you know, even though he led us in minutes, it's probably not something you want from a 5'9 guard. Um, and we're back to the free throw shooting, a Burden 2 of 6 from the line. And, um, you know, not just that, but, you know, miss, you know, the way he plays, you know, he gets the line often. And if you miss one, you know, sometimes you're sacrificing the front end of a one and one. That's even more free throws you're sacrificing that, that's not even like thought of. Uh, Quincy was one of three from free throws, too. Um, yeah, Gordon and Sherman fouled out towards the end. So, you know, when we're playing an eight man rotation, we're, you know, short, to, you know, a bunch of players. Uh, doesn't really help, but I also like that we shot 45%. So our percentages went up, uh, each game. Um, you know, now that we're talking about the final game, I just want to mention, we haven't out rebounded the one team yet this season. So I think that's, you know, some area, uh, for improvement. Um, we're only eight guys deep right now, uh, with Harrison LaRue getting spot minutes, filling it out. But I don't think, you know, if we're not running back-to-backs or whatnot, I'm not sure how much Harrison LaRue are going to play going forward, um, depending on the score and circumstance. So I think we're just going to run with eight. Um, Delaney Hurd, I don't know, and Marcus Whitlock, I hope they come back from injury soon. I'm assuming Jason Holt is not going to get his waiver accepted. So, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, but, you know, those were my initial thoughts. Uh, Aaron, what do you got? I'm going to go back to the, the last three, four minutes of the game, we, it seems like we fouled and they were on the free throw line every possession, um, which that, especially the kind of team we are, we can't have, we can't afford that, especially the last three minutes of the game. Um, that, that would, that hurt. I think that, I think ECU shot 40 free throws in this game, which is, it's a lot of free throws, even though we go up and down, there's a lot of possessions. That is a ton of times putting the team, the, the opponent on the free throw line. Um, and then I, I go back to, you know, the last, I think we were up uh, eight with three minutes left. And, 
and it's always there's a huge debate on you know do we do we slow it down do we change the way we play or do we continue doing what's what what got us there you know as as much as i i do think we were the better team in, in 30 minutes of this game i think at that point with three minutes left in the game we've we've got to start understanding that our our offense our scoring is very volatile and and what i mean by that is you know we, we can go up eight to down eight in two minutes if we stop stop hitting shots or down eight to up eight in the same amount of time. Um, I would have loved to see us change it, change, you know, the offense a little bit and not necessarily slow it down to a, to a crawl, but get some more ball movement going around. Maybe like I say, throw them on the block, um, n- taking nothing away from burden. He is an amazing guy who can always get to the, to the rim whenever he wants. I think in the, in these type of games, especially in games that start to mean more in the conference season, we're going to want to be more, be more understanding that, you know, the ball and the possession is, is basically gold at that point and, and be careful with how we're, how we're spending the next few minutes of the game. But overall, again, not, not many negative takeaways. We, we competed, we played hard and I do truly believe we were the better team on the floor. Right. Well, you know, the trade-off with running the offense that we do and putting up so many shots um, so quickly is the other team gets all those extra possessions too, you know? Um, so when we lose, we're probably going to lose ugly a lot of the time. Um, you know, it's, it's going to come down to how efficient we are. Um, but you want to talk about effort like we did in, you know, on the Georgia Southern game. I mean, it was undeniable. Our guys put our heart and soul into that game. And like you said, I think uh, you give both teams three days rest. Um, doesn't matter the court. I think, especially if it's in Kennesaw, we win that game by five to 10 points, um, you know, against a team who has been trending up for the past few years um, and is in a higher level conference than we are. Um, so nothing negative to take away from me. Um, it hurt. It really hurt um, to lose like that. It was like, man, we deserved it. Um, but nothing you can do kind of, kind of hard to be mad when, uh, <laughs> you know, another team hits a shot like that. Yeah, this is and this was a road game too. You have to remember um, the first two were neutral site, but this was te- technically a road game. Um, I, you know, I got a message from a friend after the game that was like, "Oh man, we started celebrating early, and we should have been guarding the inbounds." And I'm looking at that, I'm like, "Okay, what the hell? Like, there's no way we could have, you know, gotten over there that quickly." Um, and if you want to play that tight, you're risking a stupid foul, and you don't want to do that. I mean, if anything, you know, I guess what the guys could have done some more jumping jacks to distract him from like five feet in front before he released the ball or something like that. I mean, sure, that's probably the only thing that we could have safely done just to, you know, act like a bunch of three year olds and get our hands up all willy nilly. But um, other than that, you know, it just, you know, this shit happens. I mean, and- the the only thing I can think of, um, you mentioned that, is if they had called the timeout, you know, and we still had Eve's combo on the roster, <laughs> throw him out there, let him guard the inbound. I don't know. You know, people people on Twitter were like, well, we should have hit, you know, hit our, if we just made one of those free throws or whatnot. I'm like, no shit, guys. Yes. And, you know, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle. Um, you know, it's a one possession game. You can make so many changes that it, you know, you can, if we played better defense and rotated better on one possession and stole the ball or blocked a shot, well, that changes the game too. You know what I mean? My thing is get, I said this on Twitter, get a little bit better each game, put in that effort to get a little bit better. And if you don't, if you want to avoid these bullshit shenanigans scenarios, easy, be up by four at that same moment. That's it. This is true. I mean, but if you run that scenario 
10 times over again. Um, I would take how we played it every time. Um, give the ball to Burden. He got his look. Um, you know, you leave a few seconds on the clock. That's fine. You took the shot you had. Um, there's no real way you can defend that well. Like you said, you certainly don't want to risk him, you know, taking a foul, shooting from <laughs> beyond half court and sending him to the line. That would be worst case scenario. Um, and know, we love to foul too. Right. So <laughs> I thought like their, their setup was actually really poor. They had two and a half seconds. You know, I thought they had a better chance to get down the court and actually set up a good look, but there's nothing you can do about it. We, we put our all into it. Like you said, you can nitpick all you want, like people are going to do, but you can nitpick the other way. You can say, well, what if the time when Terrell did go to the line and he hit both, what if he misses one, you know? Um, yeah. What if he misses two? Um, it's, that's not how you can look at it. It, it is what it is. We move on. Um, it goes in the books as a negative result, but we're all encouraged. Uh, we're yeah. playing a true road game, you know, third game in three days, uh, <laughs> you know, against a team that we would be underdogs against, you know, at any point, anywhere, at any time, probably. Um, it would be. If there was, it was like a 7.5 point spread, something right, like that. Right. And that's what it was. The home team. Right. That's what it was going into the tournament. I mean, ECU was favored, you know, before the game started um, and before we really knew much about these teams. Um, sucks to lose. Still not completely over it, but lots to build yeah. off of. Um, we're foreign to. Um, I'm not complaining. Yeah, the way I look at it, you know, you can look at it like this. It kind of helped me feel a little bit better. You know, would you have felt better if, you know, Northeastern hit that last shot um, with time running down and then ECU missed that last miracle shot? Same two-in-one record, different order, different, you know, scenario. I mean, this one probably stings a little bit more, but at the end of the day, my point is we're still, you know, two-in-one, you know, if those things played out a little bit differently. So, you know, it's sometimes give and take, you know, sometimes you have to create your own luck and make your own luck. And, you know, like I said, if you want to win a, be sure to win a basketball game, the way to do that is to be up by more than three points with time running down. Yeah. I mean, what we said when we talked about the schedule, when it first came out, looking at this tournament is like, okay, you know, if we can win two out of one here. Uh, we will be ecstatic. We win the first two. Um, Northeastern was a huge win. Um, I think for confidence and just getting that result. And, you know, uh, what we said before the game started is this is house money. Um, we'll take anything we can get. Um, had we lost the game um, by 10 and it was tight until the first two minutes and then they pulled away on free throws. I think the mood would be completely different. We'd be like, you know what? Successful tournament. We ran out of gas. It happens. Um, exactly. Yeah. You're but, exactly right. Kai. Yeah. Uh, but like you said on Twitter, um, people are upset and that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, people, it means people are invested. People care. Um, it was a heartbreaker. Um, it's tough to swallow. It's tough for me to swallow. I'm sure it's the toughest for Petway to swallow and the players to swallow. So transitioning on, uh, let's talk a little bit about the rotation. Um, like you said, uh, Armani Harris and Cole LaRue got some late first half minutes. Uh, Armani Harris played in all three games. Cole LaRue played in two. He, um, had one really solid showing. He played four minutes and had like six points and four boards. And then, you know, Second time back out, he just was not the same. And it kind of led to a Northeastern run that got them back in the game. Um, you mentioned switching off Jamel King and um, Quincy Adamakoya in the Northeastern game. Um, and then just the way we rotated Ronji Gordon. So I want to ask both of y'all how y'all feel about how we're handling the rotation and then where it goes from here. I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, we got eight guys um, that I think that, you know, really, really, really deserve the minutes. You know, as much as I love Mello, a.k.a. Armani Harris and, you know, Cole LaRue and they're good culture guys and program guys, you know, we can't really expect a lot of minutes out of those dudes. Um, and, you know, it, we had to play uh, Mello eight minutes yesterday. Um, 
and you know kind of you can kind of see the product you know he's he's a little bit too small to, it's kind of been the problem since he got here you know it's kind of a, a little bit too small to play the big but not quite of a skill set enough to you know and you know explosive enough to play the three it doesn't have that skill set so you know it is what it is um, that's why I really think we need to get, you know, Delaney Heard back. Hopefully he's slated to come back. I have no idea. Same with Whitlock. Um, but yeah, we're basically down three guys on scholarship right now, plus the uh, our best walk-on by far who would definitely be playing. So um, looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing how the team can grow this year, but also makes me look forward to next year when, you know, we'll be without Burden and Robinson, which is going to suck. But, you know, I think we'll have more guys to, you know, throw at him, hopefully. Yeah, I think I, I think there's another way we can look at the conversation. And yeah, we we can talk about playing more guys and, and how the rotation's looking. I think a lot of Division One teams would love to have eight capable guys sharing minutes. And I think that's what we have. Of those eight that that get the bulk of the minutes, there's there's never a time where I'm like, man, this this guy, yeah, I gotta get him out. He's not, he's not really up to speed on defense or on offense. Those eight guys can play. And, and we've shown that like the, the pace that we play as a team um, up and down the court floor, everybody is conditioned. Everyone seems to be aligned offensively. There's no, I haven't yet once seen from, from a Kennesaw state uh, perspective, these guys getting after each other, like, Oh, you should have passed me the ball or yelling at each other. And just watching this tournament that happened once or twice, almost in every game from the opposition. Um, so that, that speaks a lot towards our leadership um, on the floor, as well as on the sideline with the coaching staff. But having eight capable guys being able to play and if we can keep everyone together and, you know, healthy, knock on wood, everything like that. I think we're in great shape going to the conference season when we're not playing back to back to back games. Yeah. Right. And I'm perfectly happy with, you know, like you said, we have eight good guys that we can, you know, rely on for minutes. However, you know, we do foul a lot. We, like we mentioned, we play a lot of man. And once you kind of start getting these people into foul trouble that, you know, that eight, which looks great, shrinks down. Or if somebody sprains their ankle, that eight shrinks to seven. And then, you know, it kind of goes down pretty quickly. We saw, you know, Gordon, Rock, you know, um, Sherman are out. And it just it just goes down fast. You know, I wish we had like a, you know, a nine or a 10, you know, that, that could probably contribute a little bit more and fit in a little bit more to what we do on mm -hmm. offense. Um, but yeah, you know, as for what it is, eight should get us by as long as we stay healthy. Right. And to y'all's point, I mean, all of those eight guys, um, they're not going to be all be on at the same time, you know, definitely not going to all carry the load, but they've all had really good games thus far. I think other than maybe Ronji Gordon and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, every single one of those guys has had a 15 point game um, at some point this season. Um, that being Cottle, Burden, Robinson, Adam Akoya, King, Sherman. and Yeah, uh, it's balanced yeah. scoring, Kai. It's very much yeah. so, and I like it. Yeah, no, it's great. And now that Burden is, you know, starting to look closer to 100%, um, you know, maybe he can be that first option and we can have a true first option, um, whether that be him or Cottle. Uh, when it comes to LaRue and Harris, I think – they do still both serve roles. LaRue is more so a foul trouble situational big. I think that's what he's going to be throughout the year. Um, he, you know, he came in and played well against Georgia Southern, and that was huge. So props to him. And then Armani Harris, you know, he's always going to be the fifth option when he's on the floor, but he's an okay enough defender. He's an okay enough rebounder to, you know, play a couple of minutes and give a guy a rest. Um, really hoping that Delaney Hurd is, you know, a scholarship worthy player, even though he's not on scholarship. Um, Cause to be honest, I don't know. Uh, he looked 
he looks athletic. I mean, there's a reason Petway brought him over and there's a reason he wanted to come over. You know, I'm sure he had other options to play elsewhere. Um, so if he can, you know, come in and fill that role and be that ninth guy and, you know, have that extra size and give guys a rest, it will be huge. Same with Whitlock. Um, I, I have no idea what their injury situations are. I mean, um, Hurd was on a scooter, you know, like at Owl Madness or whatever. So that's never good if you're this close to being off a scooter. So, you know, I'm, I'm not optimistic here for really for either of the guys, but, you know, I'm hoping that we, uh, you know, see them. Cause like I said, I have no idea. They could be back tomorrow. They could be back two months from now. They could be back next year. I just wish we had, you know, one or two guys is kind of all I'm saying. And, you know, next year, you know, Petway is going to have more of his guys in there that kind of fit what he does probably, you know, some athletic wings, um, some athletic bigs. So it's really going to be interesting to see, um, you know, where this goes once he get, you know, because keep in mind, these are Amir's players for the most part, along with two guys that are freshmen and Sherman and Johnson future is bright. Um, you know, the, I know Ace has something to add here in a second. I just want to uh, finish up by saying, you know, Sherman and Johnson, freshmen grow quickly, especially towards the conference season. Um, so I think we're going to get a big jump in production from those guys, hopefully in consistency, especially, you know, come conference. Yeah. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought those freshmen up. I, I think the more I watch them play, we're, we're six games into their, their career and I'm, confident you, i've talked about rj johnson quite a bit now i'm on the the sherman train as well he those two guys i'm confident in saying here on what november 22nd 2023 those are going to be all conference guys and and by the end of their career they play with such just poise and understanding of the game very differently right sherman is sherman's going to cut he's going to he's going to slash he's going to find his opportunity and with rj johnson when he has the ball i i feel as great as I do when, when burden has the ball, maybe not in terms of scoring, but decision-making these guys, these guys are, are great building blocks to, to build on for not only the rest of their career, but the next 20, 25 games of the season. Yeah. And if you look at the roster, just kind of, you know, obviously it's so early. It's like, we're not, I don't really want to play this game, but like, if you look at the football roster, you can't really peg, you know, anybody in on offense. Like we talked about that on the football show, you know, Gabriel Benyard is the one player, everyone else we're going to need to find 10 people. Like if we look forward ahead to the future, you're plugging in Cottle and RJ Johnson, probably into the, and Sherman into the lineup next year. And that's without even me thinking twice, like is Adam McCoy coming back? I don't know, blah, blah, blah. But that's three guys that you could probably peg as starters um, just from the ground up. Right. And this is what I tell everybody um, who asks me who doesn't watch Kennesaw State basketball and just, you know, knows that I'm on the podcast and I talk about this stuff. Um, I'm like, when you're watching, you know, keep an eye out on Sherman and Johnson. Uh, it's going to be their team as soon as next year um, when Burden and Robinson are out of here. Um, the the reliance and the faith that Petway already has in him, you know, to throw Sherman out there to start. I think he started every game, but maybe one. Um, and then to let Johnson really lead the bench unit um, says a ton. And they're, you know, only six games into their college career. There is so much good to come from them. Um, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, Johnson needs to figure out his shot a little bit. Um, I like him better um, just, you know, crashing the rim. I'm getting to the bucket. I think downhill. Um, he's yeah. one of the scariest players in the conference. Um, I would like to see Sherman continue to experiment with that outside shot a little bit, because if he can start hitting that, you know, then 
he goes from an all-conference player to a uh, player we should be scared about transferring up to the next level. So I mean that in the best way possible, by the way. And these these guys are, you know, well-rounded for freshmen too. You know, like even though RJ Johnson's not a great shooter yet, you know, you can tell that the it's there and it'll get better. And same with, you know, he'll, he'll get stronger, lose some of the baby fat and be even more dominating at the rim. Um, that's why I love his upside so much. And Sherman, you know, he's athletic. You see that he's long, he plays with tenacity and you can tell like he has a, a good shot too. It's just, you know, he needs to be more confident with it, work on it a little bit. You know, he hits his free throws. Um, he, I think he looks like he's hitting his threes. He had two threes that game. So these are guys. And I think, these are guys that we'll be able to count on. And you mentioned, you know, next year relying on RJ Johnson and Sherman. Um, I think the keys are, I think are going to be given to Simeon Cottle next year. He's the heir apparent to Terrell Burden. And I think, you know, production aside, whether RJ Johnson turns into a superstar or not, you know, I think going into next year, the keys are going to be on Cottle as the, as the new uh, engine, so to speak. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I have there. I still think um, Johnson might have a slightly higher ceiling than Cottle. Don't get me wrong. I love Cottle. He's a fantastic player and one of the more talented guys um, on this team. That being said, uh, I I see what you mean, but the way we're balancing scoring right now, I think is going to continue to be a trend. Um, And I have a hard time saying we're going to have that one guy. I think it's going to be, you know, the, the Johnson and Sherman show plus Cottle. I I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I just mean in terms of like a leadership thing. Um, this is, you know, Cottle was here. He's a year older. You know, you can already tell he loves Petway and vice versa. You know, he burden took him under his wing. You know, I just think that it's going to kind of, you know, the the captain role, maybe I should say is going to be on Simeon Cottle next year is that one guy that's good. And then there's obviously going to be two more captains, but he's that guy. 100%. He's going to be the vet. Yes. That's the best way to put it. All right. Anyways, so we'll go around the room. Producer Nick, you are welcome to also participate. Player of the tournament, everybody's picks. All right. I guess I'll start. Um, I hate to do this because, you know, it's such a team effort. As we talked about ad nauseum, um, everybody contributed. Everybody pushed hard. And, you know, it's really hard to find consistency, especially as a college player, over three games in a row. Um, But if I had to, you know, if I had to pick somebody, I'd (laughs) Terrell Burden. Um, maybe Demond Robinson. Um, he kind of he showed up in all the games. Uh, Cottle had a lot of big moments, but I, even though he missed some free throws, you know, I really think you have to give it to uh, Terrell Burden. And oh, Quincy Adam Akoya, honorable mention. I, I agree. I'm, you mentioned. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned all the guys, so I don't have to. I was stuck. You could you could pick out of a hat. They played. Everybody played well. I was torn between two guys um, and, and Quincy Adam McCoy had a, had a, a rough uh, Northeastern game, but I did love what he did on the floor. He, he, he redeemed himself from the first couple bad shooting games in a great tournament. Um, but Demon, Demon was, um, he was a force out there. He was active. He was playing hard. He, he really, you know, didn't let, let his foot off the gas. And as much as I'd love to see him get closer to the rim, um i i am happy with everything he put out this weekend or this uh previous few games man just imagine if we had demand last year to be able to play him 35 minutes a game <laughs> no kidding imagine um my pick would be um quincy adam mccoy just for personal reasons 
um, I was starting to really doubt um, him early in the year. I was like, okay, this guy's on the team to hit shots. And he started like one of 12 or something really bad, but he picked it really up. He had a down game against um, Northeastern, but he had two 15 plus point games um, really was that like bench leader. Um, I like having King start over him. I like having Adam McCoy come off the bench and just like provide that spark and that energy um, and running the second unit with RJ Johnson. I hope we'd stick with that, but um, I do like that he plays 20, 25 minutes every night. Yeah, Adam McCoy brought some sick energy uh, this weekend. So did Ranji Gordon, who I don't think we mentioned enough, uh, who does some of the scrapping uh, on the team. Uh, you know, that the fact that everybody, um, you know, plays hard, it makes it hard to say like, oh, well, he played hard this week. Well, they all played hard, which is great. So it's hard to kind of single somebody out for that. You know what I mean? Well, great job, everybody. <laughs> Real quick, that playing hard thing, like it sounds kind of corny saying that about division one athletes, but it's not, it's, it's not a skill that everybody has. And the fact that we have our entire team going out there three games in a row on the road or a neutral site, like that is an accomplishment. Like kudos to the coaching staff. Cause that, that's not something that starts with the players. It starts with the coaching staff. So kudos to those guys. My player of the tournament, I was leaning Terrell uh, simply because I think some of us who were starting to see the new Petway style play in with the three-point shots were concerned. Was TB going to get his to-the-bucket finishes when it comes down late in games? And he showed us in the last two games and even a bit in the Southern game that he's not straying away from his style of play. He's going to keep driving the basket when it comes down late. And that just – he's the clutch player. He's a clutch player. And he's going to be viewed in – that through owl fan eyes so long as he continues to just stay true to his own style of play and i you saw him taking less three opportunities i love what he's doing now he's starting to move the ball around he's finding that chemistry um and i only think that he's going to improve the more he plays with these new guys on the court so um also honorable mention from the first game, Frank Juan absolutely balled out. I think he was probably the most improved through the tournament as a whole, but he's got to definitely work on uh, the foul troubles. Very well said. I was, you know, one of those people who was concerned that Burton wasn't going to get his looks in the new offense. Um, I'm really hoping that that had something to do with him maybe not being at full strength. Um, because for the first couple of games, I was like returning Terrell Burton, you know, the best ball handler in the conference into a spot up shooter. Um, and don't get me wrong. I like, you know, seeing Cottle with the ball in his hands, but like, you know, we got, we got to let Terrell do his thing. Um, so it was, it was great reassurance for sure. Yeah. And you hit on my point. I was going to mention he's coming off of injury and he just, I kind of hit his stride towards the end of that first game against Georgia Southern and carried it over. Honestly, after that first one, I didn't think he'd be able to get to two. And then after the second one, I didn't think he'd be able to get to three in terms of actually playing. Like he, you know, he looked like he was in some pain. At yeah. And he, he got better every game too. Just want to say that. Yeah. He's deaf. I think him and Cottle, I think are leading the team in minutes. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I did want to talk about his free throw shooting. And I, had this thought to, but it was kind of, you know, one of those thoughts you have to yourself. You don't say out loud. You kind of think, am I seeing something or is this real? And a friend mentioned it too. And he DM'd me and then I'm like, okay, maybe there is something to this. So I want to run it by you guys here. And I haven't mentioned this to either of you yet, but you know, as far as burdens, free throws go, is he putting more arc on the ball to you guys? Or is that just me misremembering it? That kind of thing. What do you think? I'd have to go back and, you know, watch footage from last year because I don't remember. I Nothing stood out to me. It it's, might be possible. I mean, it wouldn't be, you know, a shocker 
um, if that was something that he worked on and tweaked in the offseason. Um, and maybe that's just, you know, a result of him changing things and these are growing pains and he just made an effort to become a better free throw shooter. Um, I think that's entirely possible, but I'm not going to say it's true or it's not because I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. And um, we'll have to kind of wait and see how this plays out again. I'm not worried about it. It just it just sucks because he's the player, you know, we we want to get to the line or, or that gets to the line. But, you know, it's not like he's the guy that never touches the ball that can't shoot like a like a Clint Capella or something like that. Um, sorry, Clint. Uh, but uh, we have some notes here. Uh, Cottle actually played uh, 30 plus in all the tournament games. So uh, him and Burden have been carrying the weight. And I honestly thought, you know, Cottle was just worn out in game three. He was airballing stuff. It was very uncharacteristic. and then somewhere in the set late in the second half he started hitting everything so you know i think petway mentioned in the post-game presser you know he believes in these guys you know just keep shooting keep shooting trust his best players and coddle is one of our best players and you know sometimes you have to shoot yourself out of it or back into it but how how clutch is that that we have a guy who who all game was kind of he wasn't playing to his best ability and in the last three minutes of the game he he takes over um that's that's a that's something that we have as a team we have all these great scores and these great role players uh, we have coddle that can come off having after i don't know a stat line in the first 30 minutes of the game but the last 10 minutes he was he was the player of the game and and mentally as as a young a younger player like to be able to overcome that like on playing 30 minutes three games in a row and and take over the way he did like we've got to feel great about him as we already did but we've, we've got to see that and see, feel great about who we have on, on this roster. Yeah. All right. So much of, you know, playing that type of role is just confidence. And this is, you know, what Petway and what Amir said about Cottle all throughout last year was he's fearless. Um, you know, he, he's got a short memory. He's going to let it fly. So love that about him. Um, unless you got else, anything else to add, guys, I can go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about the uh, state of the conference. Yeah, go for it. Let's uh, let's hear what the A Sun is is doing. Uh, our last time around the sun, I guess Fantastic. that's what you can call it. Will do. Yeah. So for those who aren't you know sick like me and don't keep up with mid major basketball to the extent that I do, um, I'll update everybody on kind of the state of where everything lies um, in the A Sun. So I've divided the teams up into four categories. I've got teams without a division one win teams with one division one win teams with two division one wins and teams with three division one wins. Um, because it's so early, um, I've decided not to count, you know, the D two games and nobody lost any. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but we'll start at the bottom with some surprises. Um, so Florida Gulf coast currently sits at one in five with their lone win being against Ave Maria. I don't know what that is, but they beat them. Um, they had it high. <laughs> I, you know what, man, uh, something to do some research on, but, uh, they did have a tight game to open up the season against Indiana. I think it was like 69 to 63. Um, so that's kind of what they're hanging their hat on. Uh, they were touted as one of the better teams in the conference coming into the year. So they've been nothing but disappointing, um, sticking with disappointment, Eastern Kentucky, who was, you know, by far and away, the clear favorite to win the conference this year. Um, is two and two with two D2 wins or lower than D2 wins and some disappointing losses. Um, they lost to UT Martin by six and then Prairie View AM um, by double digits, which is something that shouldn't happen. The Prairie View AM is not a great program. I think they're four and two right now, but traditionally they're pretty terrible. 
Um, I know you got tipped off that their player, Isaiah Cozart, got hurt. I couldn't find any confirmation on that anywhere, and he played 33 minutes in their most recent game. Um, but when he plays, he's one of the best players in conference. He's averaging like 18 and 10 so far throughout the year. Um, so not sure about that. But, yeah, disappointing start for them. Did you get any update on uh, Cozart's status? I did not. I did not. But let's just wait and see. You know, I tweeted. Somebody messaged me that he couldn't put any weight on it. He closed out with his ankle. Uh, close out on a shooter so you know it could be nothing and he you know comes back being overly cautious like i think we just saw that with the guy uh yesterday or the day before with his ankle hurting um and uh, he comes back five minutes later like nothing happened so right. um you know we'll have to wait and see so if he's not in the next game's box score probably cause for concern if he's back next time concern uh no concern so let's not worry about it for that you know until we see something it's a it's a big thing to watch um in conference though keep your eye on that because he's going to be an all-conference type of player anyways sticking with um the bottom of the conference central arkansas who's usually near the bottom or at the bottom is one and four but to be fair to them they've had kind of a rough go um four of the, out of their four losses three of them have been by single digits and one of them was a four-point loss at vanderbilt um so that record doesn't exactly um uh, reflect how good they've been this year, but still winless against D1 opponents. Um, and then Austin P, whose fans on Twitter just love me because I said I didn't expect them to be all great this year with uh, first-year head coach Corey Gibson. Uh, they basically brought over half the team from Northwestern State, um, who had a really good year in their conference. I think they finished second. Um, but yeah, expectations were weirdly high for Austin P coming in. And so far, uh, they're two and three and their best win, um, is against our friends at life university, which is, uh, I think a chiropractic school right down the road. Um, and then they beat, uh, something called Fisk by like 40 points. But other than that, they have not looked great. Um, so, you know, come at me, Austin P fans. Um, so far I'm right, but it's a long season, you know, we'll give you all time. Um, moving into the next category teams with one division, one win. We'll start with Bellarmine. Um, they had a pretty convincing win over an okay Bowling Green team. Um, I, it's hard to read too much into Bellarmine right now because their schedule is brutal, and this is what they've done every year since moving up to D1 is just schedule a bunch of big boys. So they have like a loss to Kansas State. They have a loss to Washington, um, and I think there's one other Power 6 school in there somewhere. But, you know, hard to get a read on them so far. Um, also with one win is Jacksonville, who is a 2-2. Two and two. Um, They've also played some tough ones. They got 50-pieced by Pitt um a week or two ago that was a bad look against anybody but you know it's it's pit you know you'll cut them some slack there um and then they had a a blowout loss to our good friends um and xavier um so they're sitting at two and two um with their one win being against uh georgia southern who they blew out um who is currently 0 six um and then moving into the teams with two division one wins uh we start with queens who i believe is the worst of the teams they have wins over um, bad high point teams and a bad, uh, Fairfield team. I think both of those schools only have one win so far in the year. Um, and they have three ugly double digit blowout losses. So they sit at two and three. Um, and then UNA is currently three and one and their only losses to Mississippi state. So a decent start for them. That being said, their wins are not all that impressive. Uh, they beat a bad Jacksonville state team. That's probably super underqualified to be in conference USA basketball this year, um, by two points. And then they beat um, a really bad Alabama AM team. And then moving on to the teams with two D1 wins, uh, we fall in there, Kennesaw State. Um, but y'all have heard us talk about the Owls enough today. So moving on to Stetson, um, they were supposed to be one of the better teams in the conference this year. And so far, they've been as advertised. Uh, they got a win over Central Michigan and a win over Milwaukee. And then their two losses are against top 10 Houston um, and against a pretty good UNLV team. So they've been one of the better teams so far this year. 
um, then Lipscomb um, started the season against two pretty tough mid-majors um, in Wichita State. I guess Wichita State's now high major, technically. Um, and Drake, who made the tournament last year, they hung with both teams for a while, but you know, lost control late in the games. Um, they've got two pretty weak opponents that they've beaten, but they won both games by 30 points um, against Tennessee Tech and Alabama AM. Um, they're still missing Jacob uh, Agnesevich, who's one of the best players in the conference. Um, so, so far, so good for Lipscomb. Um, and then moving into the three win category, we only have one team, and that is UNF currently sitting at four and two. Um, with some pretty weak wins um, and some interesting losses. Um, they've beaten Charleston Southern, our good friends out east, um, Northwestern State, or what's left of Northwestern State after they were gutted last year, um, and then Maine. Um, so, interesting uh, landscape so far. I'll run through my power rankings real quick. I know y'all probably haven't kept up to the same extent, um, and I will piss some people off. I'll put this right out on Twitter as soon as we finish. Please um, do. But potentially you know to avoid accusations of bias um i have put ksu at third you know just to be fair we're not going to get too ahead of ourselves um i've got lipscomb at one i've got unf at two just because you know i mean they are four and two and they've got 3d1 wins so it's hard not to um kennesaw state at three i've got stetson at four um una at five jacksonville at six bellarmine at seven eastern kentucky at eight because i think they will rebound and be an okay team this year um Assuming, you know, they stay healthy. I've got Queens at nine, Central Arkansas at 10, Florida Gulf Coast at 11, and our friends at Austin P at 12. So that's all I got from around the A-Sun. I can't put EKU that low, man. I just, I just can't. Um, I don't know if Cozart's healthy or not, but still, like, you know, that's just, that's just cruel to them. You know, you can only judge so much over the first few games. Got to so, look at the whole, the whole view. Disclaimer, this is purely from the first few games. Okay. Throw out all preseason expectations, all rosters. This is purely from the first few games. Um, if we were just going, you know, including preseason, I would have uh, Jacksonville dead last. But you know, they have a nice win in there, so they're currently sixth. But you, but you got to use your, you know, when you make power rankings, I think it's best to use prognostications. You know, got to use the old, uh, you know, predictor cap and all that. Nick, what do you got? In the in the great words of Rich Eisen. Uh, he has the power. There are his power rankings. There are many like them, but these ones are his. <laughs> so That's just true. to come to Kai's defense. You know That's what? I, I hope it pisses people off because people are going to see this and be like, oh, it's too early. You know, we've had three power five games. We should be higher. Our record's misleading. No, from from the two hours I spent on this, this is what I've got. This is the order of, you know, teams and how good they've looked in the first five to six games of the year. I think Lipscomb is scary. They're blowing people out. I think you got to give UNF the nod because, you know, they're four and two with uh, three solid wins. Um, and then I, I, I think Kennesaw State's a more talented team than UNF, but at the moment, their resume is better um, and they've looked slightly more impressive. Man, we need to schedule some of like the bottom of the uh, D one teams. Like, we need to schedule like number three fifty five, three fifty four, and three fifty three early give next me, year. Give me that would be on top of Kai's rankings. Give me IUPUI and Chicago State. I'm okay with it. No, I looked into strength of opponents as well, and their strength of schedules too. So, okay. Like, okay. I mean, one of UNF's losses was against Presbyterian. Presbyterian won five games last year. This year, they're five and one with a win over Vanderbilt. Nope. No. Nobody cares about those blue hoes. They've matched their win total from last year already. They are quietly a very, very good team in the Big South. So keep an eye out. Absolutely. 
anyways, moving on, if y'all have nothing else to add, we play FIU on Sunday, so we'll get a few days rest. FIU is a future Conference USA opponent, um, and they are currently 1-6. I have not done my due diligence yet, and I'm not sure if anybody else has, um, but so far, they've been pretty terrible. How do we see this one going, guys? Where would you put them in your ASEN rankings, Kai, if they were in the ASEN? I, you know, if I had done the adequate research, I would feel like I could rank them. So I'll oh, keep them out. Gotcha. What do you got, Ace? So same with Kai and you, John. I have no idea who FIU is as a as an opponent. Um, I will say I've watched every one of Kennesaw State's games, and I am encouraged with how we've been playing, especially as of late. They, assuming FIU is no Florida State, I I like the Kennesaw's chances. I think I think we can really play with anybody. The type of game that we play, um, the the shooting, the defensive effort. Um, and the tenacity, I, I'm not going to count us out against anybody. Like we're we're a great team, and we're getting better and better. And to touch on the power rankings before the season started, with speaking more in terms of Kennesaw State, having a new coach come in, Coach Petway, it's it's really hard to rate anybody with with major changes, especially from a from a coaching perspective. It's hard to say who we are the first five games of the season, but watching us the first you know the first few Division One games we played, we look great, and we we're getting after it. So. Will I will I bet on Kennesaw State? Absolutely, I'll bet on, bet on us. But again, that's me not knowing a thing about FIU. Yeah, and I just want to win this because it, it would look good against you know beating a, a crappy CUSA team. You know, same concept as the Sam Houston game from football. You know, they probably suck, but you know, just getting that CUSA win just it feels nice and it'll feel right. It's a it's a chance to get a fat road win. I think that's what's important. You know. Um, players can't control how the schedule lines up, but we go on the road, you know, let's take care of business. They're not very good. Um, I know that much. Um, and we got a chance to be five and two um, before some of our tougher non-con games. So, yeah. And then we got Georgia state after that. Um, I know we'll probably have another show after Georgia state um, and we'll have the midweek to talk about this perhaps, but um, you know, I don't think we've played Georgia state since like the early nineties or late eighties. It would have been like NAIA era. Yeah, so it's totally irrelevant. So this is a big game in Kennesaw here in a week or two against Georgia State. Um, you know, Aaron, uh, you had some rivalries versus Mercer. Uh, have you played any other, you know, did you play Georgia Southern at all? Obviously, I'm sure we, we beat Georgia Tech. Did you play UGA? We did not play UGA. We played Southern. We obviously lost because we just beat them for the first time. Um, no other Georgia schools outside of the that we played West Georgia and, and others, but um, no, no other in-state rivalries. So it's going to, it's definitely going to be an interesting game and hopefully a new rivalry going forward. That's what I want to see. Cause you know, we win now I'm throwing out the past. This is going to be one, nothing if we win. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, a uh, little off topic, but you bring up West Georgia, they're going to be newly D one next year. I know we're not going to be a sun anymore, but you know, they're 40 minutes down the road. What's stopping us from uh, starting a little out of conference rivalry there. I think it'd be great. Yeah. Smack them around and welcome, welcome them to D one for a few years. Sounds good to me. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about, um, you know, scheduling teams that are in their first year in D one, man, that's a lot of pressure. I would hate to lose those. Do them a favor, save them some money on travel. We'll be okay. Yeah, I got I've got nothing to add. Um, just to wrap up, um, I'm super encouraged. Um, I, I mentioned this already, but you know, 
uh, some spotty parts against Florida State, but absolutely balls to the wall effort this weekend or this week. Uh, no complaints whatsoever from me. Uh, we'll get right. Um, I'm seeing improvement, you know, each game, field goal percentage, assist to turnover, um, you know, and that's not even considering, you know, the tired legs. So I'm I'm happy over here. And I know you guys are not used to me saying that after this, uh, you know, all these football uh, podcasts, but uh, I don't have any complaints. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. Um, so I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. Hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving week, Thanksgiving weekend. Um, shout out to everybody who uh, DM'd us about the uh, Norman Radow interview. It means a lot. Yeah, and we'd love to we'd love to hear your comments. So you know, please uh, pass them along, DM them to me. If you have my number, text me, post them on the message boards, whatever. You know, I'll make sure Aaron sees them or producer Nick if you want to. Uh, you know, take some shots at him as well. I'll be happy to pass it along. So feel free. All right, <laughs> have we'll a be great back. Thanksgiving weekend. Absolutely, we'll be back to talk about FIU. Thank you for tuning in to the Owl Chat Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow our hosts on Twitter at KSU Owl Howl and at Big Owl Blog. You can also view additional content on BigOwlBlog.com. And be sure to join the online community of Owl fans at KSUOwlHowl.com slash forum. Until our hosts return, stay happy, stay healthy, and as always... Go Owls!